You guys know it's senior, it's uh, Pastor Appreciation Day, so I wanted to take a moment and also recognize our senior pastor. So I had a few words to share about him and what he has meant to me personally. So um, I just want to highlight a few things. So we are so blessed to have a man of God leading our church with such a wealth of experience. Did you know that he started out in 1975 as a youth pastor? He sure did. I was two years old then. That's right. Now, I'm not calling him old, but I will say he's chronologically gifted. He's been a senior pastor for over 40 years, and he's been our senior pastor here at Crosspoint for the last 12 years. He's also been married to an amazing and faithful wife for the last 44 years. And so I mention all of that just to say that that says so much about his character and about his commitment. He has dedicated his life as a servant of God, as a leader, as a mentor, and as a coach. And he's done that for so many people. When I was pastor of church down in the Bitterroot years ago, I can remember when uh, he and his wife came down for one of our services, and they sat right on the front row. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me as a young pastor looking out and seeing uh, Pastor Bruce sitting right there in the front row. That was so encouraging. And uh, he was a mentor for me. And he's been a mentor for so many and is a mentor for so many young pastors all across this great state. That's one of his passions, is coaching and mentoring young pastors. And so just want to appreciate him for that. He also helped me walk through some very challenging times. And uh, I can remember when my wife and I moved away from Montana in 2014. And he planted a seed in my heart about one day possibly serving as his associate pastor. And God is so good, and God is so faithful, here I am today. And brother, I am blessed to serve with you. I am blessed to serve under you. I love you, man, and I thank you for all you do. I really do. So we honor you today, and we thank you for all you do for this church, all you do for the community, and for all you do in your faithful service to God. Thank you, brother. Let's give him a round. Now, Pastor Appreciation Day, it happens once a year, but I want to encourage you, you don't have to wait to appreciate your pastor on that particular day. If you guys knew all the things that uh, our senior pastor has to deal with, you'd be amazed. It isn't like he just works on Sunday. There are six other days of the week, and let me tell you, it's packed full of stuff. So you get an opportunity to hug on him, love on him, shake his hand, just tell him thank you. I'm, I'm sure he'd appreciate it. So as many of you may be aware, we've had some guest speakers over the last few weeks, had not we? So today we're going to come back to our message series entitled, How to Choose the Right Path for Our Lives. Now we've been studying through the book of Daniel, chapter by chapter. And uh, Pastor and I have been tag teaming this message series together. It's the first time that he and I have done something like this. What do you think? Have you enjoyed it? Good. Awesome. Now, uh, don't worry, before I jump into chapter 5 today, I'm going to do a quick recap to kind of bring us back up to speed since we've been off of this for a few weeks. You know, I had someone uh, tell me the other day that they had to listen to a message multiple times before it could really sink in. And you know, God's Word is so powerful and so amazing that sometimes we have to do that, right? We've got to hear it multiple times for it to sink in. So I want to encourage you. If you've missed any of the messages in this series, you've got the opportunity to go online. You could take advantage of our iTunes podcast. 
You can go to our video channel on our website. You can watch them there as many times as you'd like at your convenience of your home. So take advantage of that. You know, the Bible says clearly that there are two paths that everyone is on. You can see that illustrated here in our message series. One of them is called the will of God. And that's walking where he wants you to walk. That's his will. And it's this path that leads to life. And then there's the other path. And it also kind of resembles the, the, the other one, right? And that's my will. That's the path that I want. That's the path that I think is best. And ultimately, if we stay on that path, it leads to destruction. Don't you wish that these paths were clearly marked, right? I mean, it'd be awesome if they were. Sometimes it's difficult to know the difference. And so we've been talking about that in this message series. And in week one, through the experience that Daniel and his friends had, we learned that we were not created to fit in. We were created to stand out. I challenged you to dare to be a Daniel and stand out. Don't fit in. I said there were three things that you must have if you want to experience victory and if you want to understand how to choose the right path for your life. Number one was conviction over compromise. Number two was persistence over resistance. Number three was trust over trial. And then in week two, we went through Daniel chapter two, and this is where pastor introduced the principle for this series. Now, there's a difference between a law and a principle, he said, right? Laws we can break. And sometimes we can get away with it. But a principle you cannot break. Because oftentimes if you try to break it, it'll break you. Right? So he introduced the principle. And the principle was this. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Right? That's what determines our destination. We can have all the good intentions we want. But that is not going to get us there. We've got to be headed in the right direction. That's what determines our destination. He also talked about in that week that we've got to examine the path that we're on, right? So we fully understand where we're headed, okay? And then in week three, we asked this question. What do you do when your faith is under fire, right? What do you do? Number one, we must stand confidently. We've got to stand upon the word of God, stand upon his promises. And number two was to stand unconditionally. That's even if. No matter what happens, I'm standing for you, God. And then in week four, we saw an amazing illustration of God's discipline upon a very arrogant and prideful king. Pastors shared three great lessons on how to walk in humility. Number one was we've got to learn to receive compliments well. We've got to let them go into our heart but not go into our head, he said. Number two was we've got to learn to flee false humility. You guys have seen what false humility is like. That's when somebody's acting humble and they're really not. And then number three, we've got to learn to consider others as more important. Okay? So that gets us up to today. You guys ready to dive into today's message? I like the excitement when you guys are excited to hear from God. Now, before we get into today's message, I want to be real with y'all. Can I be real for just a minute? You guys mind? You okay? All right. I want you to know that I really struggled with coming up with a title for this message. I really did. I was like, well, I'm speaking on Daniel chapter 5. And this is where God writes a message on a wall to a very arrogant and prideful king. I thought, what could the title be? How about the writing on the wall, I thought. I was like, eh, that's been done over and over. That's too obvious. No, not that one. 
I thought, how about the path of pride? Right? We're, we're talking about the path. Maybe that'll work. I got the path and I got the pride. I got the two Ps. No, that, that wasn't it either. I thought that's not quite catchy enough. And then I thought, how about step down or be knocked down? I kind of like that one. That was a maybe. Uh, no, still, it wasn't quite there yet. And you know, it's really hard for me to write a message if I don't have a title first. That's just how it works for me. I got to have a title first. It's a big deal. I always feel like I got to have that first before I can really dig in and really start studying and preparing. And uh, recently I was listening to a pastor through a podcast who I listen to quite frequently. And I've been listening to him for many, many years. And this particular pastor is one of the, uh, he's the senior pastor of one of the largest churches in this country. And he's been pastoring for decades. And so in his message, he starts to share about how he struggled to come up with a title for this particular message. And he's like, it was really stressing him out. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm not the only one that has this problem, right? I'm not crazy. Other pastors struggle with this too. You know, I want the title to grab you. I want it to be something that uh, it, it, it sticks with you. And it causes you to really think about what you heard. And you know, it really doesn't matter to me whether you like my messages or not. Now hear me on this. It doesn't matter to me whether you like them or whether you tell me thank you. That's not my focus, okay? Now, I appreciate it. Don't misunderstand. I do appreciate that, but that's not my focus. My focus is honoring God by doing what he's called me to do and saying what he's called me to say. That's my responsibility because, one, I am accountable for every single word that I say up here. I am. So what really gets me excited is not a thank you or a good job. What really gets me excited is when I see genuine life change. That gets me fired up. When I see people saved, coming to Jesus for the first time. When I see people baptized in the name of Jesus, that gets me excited. When I see you guys sign up for our classes, like this afternoon, our 301 class, I looked at that sheet and it was like almost full. Woo! Bring it on. I wish the whole church would come to that. I love that kind of stuff when I see people hungry for the Word of God, hungry for learning about their gifts and how can I serve others and how can I serve Jesus. That's what gets me fired up. Anyway, back to coming up with the title for this message. I was stressing out. I was really stressing out. I read Daniel chapter 5 over and over again. And then I listened to Daniel chapter 5. I thought, well, okay, I've read it plenty of times. Let me listen to it. Let's see if I can get a title then. Nothing. There was nothing. I was just out of creativity. So you know what I did? I called my creative department. Do you guys know I have my own very own creative department? Yeah. So I called up my hot smoking wife. And I said, honey, what should I call this message? And she said to me, why don't you just call it God doesn't care about your title? (laughs) I was like, okay. Let's go with that. So God doesn't care about your title. We're not on this earth to have or to earn a title. We're here on this earth to elevate his title. And that's the message today. Right there. I love my creative department. I really do. She's awesome. Husbands, God made us a helper. Sometimes we just have to humble ourselves 
and ask our wives for help. And for me, that's a lesson in humility every time. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we just honor you and worship your name. We thank you for the opportunity to sit here and hear from you. So I ask, Lord God, that you tune our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see and hear from you today. May this word directly speak into our hearts and cause us to make a difference in the lives of others and in our life in particular. We give you glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 5. You guys ready to dig in? All right. Today we're going to learn about a man who lost everything because he failed to learn a very valuable lesson. And what makes this story so shocking is that he knew all about what happened to his grandfather in chapter 4, but it had no effect on him. He missed all the warning signs all along the way. Why? Because he was all about living for himself. Pride is a pathway to a dead end. Literally. How do you choose the right path for your life? Be humble. You've got your hand out. That's your first blank there. Be humble. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 say it like this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We've got to be humble. Pride is a killer. Why is it that we don't take it seriously? It's been the downfall of so many people since the world began. Lucifer, before he was called Satan, uh, he was the most beautiful and most magnificent angel in all of heaven. And then he wanted to be like God, and then he wanted to be better than God. And Jesus said that he fell from heaven like lightning, right? Ironically, the very thing that Satan fell for is the very thing that he uses today to try to make us fall. Now, in the simplest terms, pride is when we think we know better than God. It's when we think we know best and no one can tell us any different. We'll say things like this, or we'll think things like this. I can do whatever I want. I don't need help. I got this. I'm better than her. I have more than him. I can handle this. It doesn't bother me. I'm invincible. Or as Thanos said in the Avengers uh, Endgame, I'm inevitable, right? It's about me over you. I don't need anyone else. I'm not apologizing. Don't you correct me. I deserve this. And my stuff is more important than your stuff. That's all pride. Pride is a poison, and the only antidote is humility. Pride is about independence, and humility is about dependence. Pride is about me, and humility is about we. Pride is about omission, and humility is about submission. Now let me explain. Omission is when we leave everyone else out. I don't need you, and I don't need God. Submission is when we say, I need you. I need God, and I lay down my life for you, and I lay down my life for him. If you're sitting there in your seat and you're saying to yourself, I don't have a problem with pride. This message isn't for me. Or maybe you're sitting there going, 
I'm not the one that has the pride problem. That's so-and-so that has the problem. So can I tell you something? You have a problem with pride. And let's face it. We all have a problem with pride. You, me, everyone. Because at the root of every single sin is pride. We all sin. Pride often opens our mouth and shuts our ears. When we're full of pride, we don't listen. And men, that's especially important for us. Just ask my wife, okay? There's many times that I don't listen. I wish I could say that was different, but man, that's the truth of the reality that I have every day. Pride blinds us. We can't even see the most common things going on around us, the most obvious things. And pride also causes us to make some really stupid decisions. We're going to see all of that and more today with what happens to King Belshazzar in chapter 5. His lack of humility is what causes his downfall and the downfall of an entire kingdom. Now, as I tell this story, I'm going to stop along the way and share with you four ways that we can keep our pride in check and choose the right path for our lives. You ready to dig in now? Are we warmed up? All right. It's been nearly 25 years that have passed since the events that occurred in chapter 4. And that's where King Nebuchadnezzar received a major lesson in humility. You might remember that he finally recognized Daniel's God as his God. And then he begins to profess him as the one and only true God. It's also been about 70 years since the events that occurred in chapter 1. And that's where Daniel was a teenager. Now Daniel is a wise old man and he's in his 80s. So chapter 5, it opens up with King Belshazzar living it up. He's throwing this big old party. Now the parties in those days were notoriously wicked and filthy. They were often just drunk fest sex orgies. Disgusting and repulsive parties. And so as the night drew on, the king drank more and more wine. And as he did that, he got bolder and more arrogant. And this brings us to the first way that we can keep our humility in check. So number one, we've got to consider the audience. We've got to consider the audience. Is what we're about to say or about to do intended to impact your audience so that we get attention or we get the glory? Is that the driving force behind what we're about to say or what we're about to do? We've got to consider the audience. Unfortunately, the rise of social media has taught us that being liked is more important than meeting needs. How many likes did I get? How many reposts did I get? How many retweets did I get? Look at me. Look what I did. Look what I said. Isn't that great? Some of us are obsessed by what other people think about us. I read an article online. It was entitled, Seek Impact, Not Attention. It was by Tyler Braun, and he said it this way. Being noticed by many will never matter if the people who are directly in front of you don't feel noticed by you. We've got to consider the audience. Now, when I was studying this chapter, there was a series of four verses that jumped out at me. And it's these four verses that I'm going to share with you where these uh, checks in humility came from, or checks in pride, rather. So the first one here is in Daniel 5, verse 2. It says, While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink with them, from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. 
So there's the audience. His nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Now these gold and silver cups that the king brought out, they were from the house of God. And they were very sacred. These were the very cups that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple many years before. And even though these cups were supposed to be set apart as holy, King Belshazzar didn't care. Now, I don't know what he was thinking, but perhaps he was thinking, I'm going to bring these cups out and I'm going to remind everyone about all the previous victories that we've had and how awesome we are as a kingdom. It was really as if King Belshazzar was saying to God, I'm more important than you. And I'm the king of this great nation. And so King Belshazzar, he had everyone drink wine from these cups. And then they all started worshiping idols of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, the word says. Now, drinking from these cups was a very sacrilegious act. The king was more concerned about his glory rather than all the people around him. We've got to consider the audience. So here's the king. He's essentially thumbing his nose at God, and he's leaving, leading everyone into the sins of drunkenness, sexual immorality, and the worship of idols. You can imagine that this doesn't please God at all. So in the middle of this wild party, fingers from a human hand appear, and they start writing a message on a wall. Now the king totally freaks out when this happens. And like you, I, I would freak out too, right? If I saw some fingers from a human hand just all of a sudden appear and start writing something on the wall, that would get my attention. And so the word says that he became extremely pale and that his knees started to knock together. And then they started to give way when this happened. I can imagine that this must have been a very sobering sight. And this brings us to the second way that we can keep our humility in check. We have to consider the source Consider the source. Who do we turn to when we need help? Do we even stop to consider taking our concern to God? Some of us sometimes skip right over the one and only true source of everything. We just bypass God in our frantic state of trying to solve whatever it is that we're facing. Or maybe it's we get weary from all the waiting. We brought it to God and we've been waiting We've been praying, we've been faithful, and nothing's happened. Or maybe what we do is we turn to people who we know are going to tell us what we want to hear. You ever had an argument with somebody, right? You get into a disagreement, and then what do you do? You turn to that third person who has nothing to do with the argument, and you pick the one who you know is going to take your side or who's going to tell you what you want to hear. I've done that. Many of us do that. Or are we so proud that we won't even ask for help? We'll just try to tackle the challenge on our, all on our own. And what's interesting, I was sitting right outside the auditorium right before this message, and I had a friend of mine ask me if I needed help. And my first instinct was to say, no, I got it. And then I remembered, I'm preaching on pride today. And I said, you know what? I could use your help. It's interesting how God can humble you sometimes. We've got to consider the source. Unfortunately, King Belshazzar did not consider the source. And he makes another big mistake because this is what he does. He calls for his so-called wise men to tell him what the words on the wall meant. And here it is. This is in Daniel 5, verse 7. He says, the king shouted, 
for the enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this message and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third ruler, third highest ruler in all the kingdom. Now, none of them can do it because they weren't wise men at all. They were astrologers, fortune tellers, and enchanters. Can I tell you something? Don't ever waste your time on that kind of stuff or those kinds of people because it's evil and it's demonic and it's downright foolish, okay? It is foolish to do that. As a matter of fact, look what the word says. Proverbs thirteen twenty: walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That's the New Living Translation. You look at it in the New King James, it gets a little bit stronger. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Will be destroyed. That's important. We got to remember that. We don't associate with foolish people because that gets us in trouble and ultimately could get us destroyed. So to keep our humility in check, we need to consider the source. Who are we going to for help? You know, when the king realizes that his so-called wise men cannot interpret the writing that was written on the wall, he starts to panic. And so the queen mother gets wind of what's happening. And so she races down to try to talk some sense into the king. Now, scholars believe that the queen mother was either the wife or the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar because she knows all about Daniel. She tells the king not to be so scared because Daniel has the spirit of the holy gods within him. And he can interpret dreams, riddles, and solve difficult problems. So she tells him to call for Daniel so that he could tell the king what the words meant. And then the king calls for Daniel. And he tells him, hey, I'm going to give you a purple robe of honor. I'm going to put a gold chain around your neck, and I'm going to make you third ruler in all of the kingdom if you'll just tell me what those words mean. Now, the third ruler was kind of interesting. This made me stop and think, why did he offer Daniel the third ruler? Why not the second? I mean, after all, he is the king, right? I love it when the word makes you stop and think and causes you to go a little bit deeper. I think that's awesome. So I did. I went a little bit deeper. He couldn't offer Daniel the second ruler position because he was the second ruler. His father was King Nabonidus, and King Nabonidus was the first ruler. He was also the son-in-law of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, many translations refer to King Nebuchadnezzar as the father to King Belshazzar. However, he was actually his grandfather. The Hebrew word there for father is commonly used to refer to a father figure or a relative in your ancestry. I thought that was kind of cool. It's like some Bible trivia for you, right? All right, so back to the story. King Belshazzar, he makes this incredible offer to Daniel. If you'll just interpret the words, I'm going to make you third ruler. I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a purple robe. And then I'm going to put a gold chain around your neck. I want you to listen to how Daniel responds. Check this out. Daniel says this in 517. Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I will tell you what the writing means. Keep your gifts. In other words, I'm not interested in what you have to give me. That's not what motivates me. 
And that brings me to the next point here and how to keep our pride in check. We've got to consider the reward. Consider the reward. So Daniel doesn't fall for it here. He turns down the reward because that's not what motivates him. Are you more motivated by what you will get versus what you can give? Are you more interested in being rewarded for what you do or what you say? Do you say or do things just to get attention? You know, Matthew 6 warns us about this. These are the words of Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. And Jesus says in verse 5 of the same chapter, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. And then Jesus says again in the same chapter, verse 16, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward reward they will ever get. So the common thread in all three of these verses from Jesus is that we don't do things to get attention. We don't do them to get a reward. That shouldn't be our motivation. And if we do, then that's the only reward we're ever going to get. We've got to consider the reward. So after Daniel turns down the reward, and before he tells the king what the words on the wall mean, he reminds the king of the story of what happened to his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. You might remember from week four, that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and majesty and glory and honor. He was the greatest king in all of Babylon. But when he became puffed up with pride and arrogance, God humbled him in a mighty way. He was driven from human society, the word said. God gave him the mind of a wild animal. And he lived among wild donkeys eating grass like a cow. For seven years he lived like that until he learned that God is the most high and only true God and that he rules over all the kingdoms of the world. Now, I love what Daniel says next after telling the king, reminding him about his predecessor. Look at this. This is in verse 22 and 23 of the same chapter. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. King Belshazzar. He knew all about what happened to his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, because he was his grandfather. Surely he heard the amazing story of what happened to him and how he was humbled, lost his kingdom, and then he was restored with even more, at, more majesty and honor and glory than he had when he was king the first time. How could King Belshazzar not learn this lesson? 
It's because when we're so puffed up with pride, we often can't see the obvious. Or we just choose to ignore it and go our own way. And this brings me to my final point on how we can keep our pride in check and choose the right path. Consider the consequence. We've got to consider the consequence. We often don't consider the consequence, especially when we appear to be getting away with whatever it is we're doing. Nothing happened, so I'm just going to take another step, we'll tell ourselves. No big deal. I'm good. When we're full of pride, we often have this feeling of being invincible or we're just being stupid. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but that's true. Now, the Bible warns us here in verse uh, James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. It says that God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Now, in week four, pastor talked about this verse and he was referring to a different translation. It said God resists the proud. That's like a military term. So he used this illustration. He talked about how that's like God lining up his army against you, right? When we're full of pride, that's the visual that you should get. That's a pretty powerful uh, visual, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the opposing side of God. No way. And that's exactly what happens when we're full of pride. God says very clearly through the psalmist in Proverbs 8.13 that he hates pride and he hates arrogance. He hates it. As a matter of fact, when he talks about the seven things that he hates in his word, the very first thing that he mentions is haughty eyes. That's pride. That's what that is. That's number one. In Proverbs 16.5, it says that everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, and they will not go unpunished. In other words, there will be a day of reckoning. You may get away with it for a while, but there's going to come a time where it's going to catch up to you. There will be discipline. Proverbs 16.18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty, uh, haughty spirit before a fall. So here's the deal. If we are prideful, we're going to be punished. And if we continue to be prideful, there will be a great fall. We see that today and what happens with King Belshazzar. We saw what happened in week four with King Nebuchadnezzar. That's why we have to consider the consequence. Now, there are plenty of warnings in the Bible about being prideful. I only shared a few with you. But the Old Testament is full of illustrations just for us, right? On what it means when you're, or what happens to you when you're prideful. The challenge is, is that when we're prideful, we often don't listen to reason. King Belshazzar sure didn't. Daniel had just reminded him about what his grandfather had done and how God humbled him and how Belshazzar, he didn't offer up any remorse. When you read the text, you can see there was no remorse and he certainly didn't repent. So when Daniel tells him what the three words on the wall mean, right, he still didn't repent. And here's what those three words were. They were meanie, tekel, and euphorsen. And Daniel explains this to the king. He says, meanie, that means numbered. God had numbered the days of his reign and brought it to an end. And then tekel, this means weighed. King Belshazzar had been weighed and he had found that he had not measured up. And then Euphorsin, that means divided. His kingdom would be divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, after hearing all of that from Daniel, there was no reaction from the king. No remorse, no regret, no repentance. 
That's pride at its worst. So that very night, the king was killed and the kingdom of Babylon came to a crashing end. King Belshazzar did not consider the consequence. Now, the whole time that he was throwing this huge party and the whole time that they were mocking God and they were drinking out of those sacred cups and they were having sex and doing all kinds of crazy wild stuff, you know what was going on while that was all happening? The Medes and the Persians were right outside the gates and they were planning an attack on the city. Now, I don't know if the king was just overconfident or stupid or what, or if he was trusting in the fact that the city had 22 feet thick walls and they were 90 feet high. That's crazy when you think about it. Maybe there was a false sense of security. I don't know. But the Euphrates River flowed into the city and the Persians had found a way to lower the level of the river so that their troops could march right underneath the city gates. And the city of Babylon fell without a fight. The greatest kingdom in the whole world fell without a fight. We have to consider the consequence. You know, when I was studying this story, I thought to myself, why did God even write the words on the wall? Why didn't he just kill the king in the beginning? And just, you know, take him out. Why didn't he do that? He knew full well how much pride that King Belshazzar had how cocky and how irreverent he was. He knew that he hadn't learned the lesson from his grandfather. Why even bother? And then it occurred to me in 2 Peter 3.9, here's why. It's because God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. I believe the writing on the wall was not just a warning for the king. I believe it was a warning for all the people there. And it's a warning to all of us and to all the people that have lived from the beginning of time till now that have had an opportunity to read the word. We have to consider the consequence. Now, God does not discriminate. It doesn't matter where you came from or who you are. God doesn't care about your title. We're not on this earth to have or to earn a title. We're here on this earth to elevate his title. So how do we keep our pride in check and choose the right path for our lives? We've got to consider the audience. Is what we are about to say or do intended for us to get recognition? Or are we more concerned about serving those around us? We've got to consider the source. Who do we turn to when we need God or when we need help? Excuse me. Is it God first and godly people second? We've got to consider the reward. Are you more motivated by what you will get versus what you can give? And we've got to consider the consequence. How does God view pride and what could happen if we don't stay humble? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the warnings that you give us all through Scripture. We thank you, Lord, that you are incredibly patient. You don't want anyone to perish. You want us all to repent. And so maybe you're here today, and you've been living your life for you, and you've had so much pride that you haven't wanted to surrender. And maybe today's the day that you want to know who Jesus is. You're like, I I, want to know him. I, I, I want to give my life to him. If that's you, slip up your hand and I can pray for you. Is that you? 
you want a relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart. You don't know him, but you want to know him today. Then slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, I pray for the hand that went up. Lord, that you would change their heart. Your word says that uh, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So let's pray this prayer. Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I know that uh, uh, you are my Savior now, and I give my life to you. You are the Son of God. I know you died and paid the price for me hanging on the cross, and on the third day you rose again. And so I surrender. I give my life to you today. And from this day forward, I will serve you. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer, welcome to the kingdom of God. And so if you're here today and you think to yourself, maybe I've been full of pride and I want to repent of that. I want to come back to God. I know who God is, but I want to live my life going forward for him. You know, he paid the greatest penalty that we would ever face. He humbled himself, right? And got on that cross for us. So if that's you today and you want to rededicate your life to him and you want to get back on the right path, you've been heading down the wrong path and you want to get back on the right path, his will, that path. If that's you, slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else want to get back on the right? Thank you. Anyone else want to get back on the right path? Thank you. Thank you. Got a, a few of you. So Father, I pray that those that have slipped up their hand and say, today is the day I'm coming back to you. I don't want to serve me anymore. I'm relinquishing my pride. I'm humbling myself, and I'm coming to you today. Lord God, I pray that you'd come into their heart, turn their life around, get them on the right path, Lord, that they will serve you every day of their life going forward. And we give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will stand for our closing song, that would be great.